Hello, fellow PGY2s. Welcome to the first episode of our very own USF Emergency Medicine Curriculum Review Podcast. Listen weekly for quick recaps on the week's Grand Rounds topics to reinforce your learning or just to listen to my pretty voice. This week's material covered two topics. We'll start first with narrow, complex tachycardias. Diagnosis and management of tachyarrhythmias in the ED often requires quick and concise diagnosis and decision-making. Let's review this material to make this process a little easier. When you get that vocera call from your favorite charge nurse, patient to trauma bay from front pivot pod that just finished sign out and that I've just dumped five Spanish-speaking only patients in, please respond. You walk back to the trauma bay to a monitor that's dinging off the chain. Don't panic. Here's how to break it down and keep your underwear clean. Step one, pads on the patient. But Frank's already done that for you. On to step two, stable or unstable. With a blood pressure systolic of less than 90, altered mental status, or patient complaining of chest pain, this patient is unstable and you need to electrify. For pure tachycardias, which excludes fibrillation or torsades, the mode is always synchronized cardioversion. The dosage of voltage can vary depending on the morphology, but to keep it simple, when in doubt, above the AV node, think 100 joules. Below the AV node, think 200 joules. You can also give analgesia or anxiolytics if you're feeling generous or if their pressure can tolerate it. Be sure to obtain a 12 lead promptly after cardioversion to evaluate for underlying ischemia. What if your patient remains unstable after trying electricity? Go back to your basic blood pressure support management, fluids, levofed, or push-dose phenylephrine. So what if your patient is stable? Next, evaluate for P waves. If your patient's stable and you see P waves, boom, you're done. Treat as sinus tachycardia. This usually involves treating whatever underlying condition precipitated a tachycardia. This could be anything from hypovolemia, toxometabolic, pharmacologic, or psychologic. For most of these things, fluid and benzos work well. If there are no P waves, you need to evaluate the rhythm. With no P waves and a regular rhythm, think SVT. Your first line is going to be vagal maneuvers. And then try adenosine, a 6-12-12 fast push, with your next option being a calcium channel blocker. Most often, we use DILT 10 milligrams slowly, followed by a drip at 5 to 15 per hour. You can also try Verapamil 10 milligrams slowly, followed by a drip. Or, depending on what you have in your pharmacy, Esmolol, 500 micrograms, followed by a 100 to 300 microgram per minute infusion. If you don't see P waves and the rhythm looks irregular, think AFib. In this situation, consider the cause for AFib. Usually, patients have AFib with RVR. is either caused by the AFib itself or an underlying condition causing the tachycardia to happen such as hypotension leading to AFib. As a rule of thumb, if the rate is less than 150, it's more likely secondary to underlying AFib. If the rate is greater than 150, 
there could be a shock component exacerbating the AFib. If you suspect purely AFib, reach for a DILT, Verapamil, or Esmolol, depending on what you have available. If these first-line agents are unsuccessful, you can consider using amiodarone 150 milligrams followed by a 1 milligram per minute drip or digoxin 0.5 milligrams IV. And of course, don't forget to calculate the patient's CHADS2 VASC and has blood scores when considering anticoagulation for new onset AFib. Also, don't forget that the less than 48 hour rule for onset of AFib does not apply in an unstable patient. You should cardiovert an unstable patient in AFib regardless of time of onset. Now that we've established some ground rules, let's talk about some exceptions to these rules. First is a flutter. A flutter can present as regular or irregular. If you see a rate of exactly 150 beats per minute, think A flutter. The great news is, is that the treatment of A flutter is the same as that for AFib. Calcium channel blockers followed by beta blockers. The next consideration is WPW, which can sometimes be mistaken for AFib with RVR. The difference between AFib with RVR and WPW is that WPW will have bizarre appearing QRS complexes that change in width. Additionally, if the rate is greater than 220 beats per minute, it's more likely WPW versus AFib. If you suspect WPW, do not start an AV nodal blocking agent such as calcium channel blocker or beta blocker, as this could worsen the condition. Your options for WPW are to cardiovert or give procainamide 17 milligrams per kilogram. Next, we're talking about syncope, or should I say stinkope, am I right? <laughs> okay. As with most conditions we deal with in the ER, the beginning of your assess assessment should answer one simple question, stable or unstable? In an unstable patient, these three parameters should be assessed first obviously vital signs, and then an EKG, specifically looking at a STEMI, and finally a finger stick blood glucose. If nothing jumps out at you with these three pieces of information, move on to other causes. These can be broken down into cardiogenic versus non-cardiogenic, and this is assuming that you've already distinguished syncope versus seizure. Since we were just on the topic of cardiology, let's discuss the other cardiogenic causes. First, obviously, all the tachyarrhythmias we just discussed. Bradyarrhythmias, such as heart block or sick sinus syndrome. And then your classic can't-miss EKG findings. First, long QT syndrome. A QTC of greater than 450 milliseconds should catch your attention, and greater than 500 should make you sweat. Potential to convert to torsades and V-fib is a real concern with prolonged QT. The treatment of torsades is magnesium. The dosing is 2 grams over 20 minutes and then an infusion of 1 to 4 grams per hour. You also need to correct the underlying electrolyte abnormalities that cause prolonged QT, most commonly hypocalcemia, hypokalemia, and hypomagnesemia. If the torsades converts into ventricular fibrillation, 
treat per ACLS guidelines, which we will discuss more next week. The slower the heart rate, the longer the QT becomes, so pick up the pace. Consider transcutaneous pacing or isopertrinol, the dosing of which you're going to end up looking up anyways, so I won't mention it here. The next can't-miss EKG finding is WPW, which is characterized by a short PR interval with a delta wave, the treatment of which is procainamide. Brugada syndrome, which is characterized by a right bundle branch block with ST elevations in V1 through V3. There's no acute treatment of this in the ER, but these patients will need a defibrillator. Hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy on EKG looks like a high voltage with sharp Q waves, and you might also notice a murmur that increases with Valsalva maneuver on physical exam. And finally, arrhythmogenic right ventricular hypertrophy, which on EKG shows a wide QRS with an epsilon wave, which is basically a notchy thing at the end of the QRS, and sometimes has T-wave inversions in V1 through V3. Next, consider non-cardiogenic causes of syncope. The most common and benign would be vasovagal syncope, which in the history will have some kind of trigger or prolonged standing. Then situational syncope, which usually involves an increase in intra-abdominal pressure, like taking to poop or coughing or imposing carotid sinus pressure, such as when someone's shaving. And then the other most common cause, non-neurogenic, would be orthostatic. So think dehydration, hypotension in an old person. After you've ruled out these three relatively benign causes, then just go head to toe. Start with neuro, think subarachnoid hemorrhage, then go down to the chest, think heart or PE. Then past that, think vascular, such as AAA or dissection. Below that, think GI bleed. That's right, time for the old TGH handshake. And finally, GU and what I'm best known for, being pregnant. So what's the dispo for these patients? Research has shown the San Francisco syncope rule is really not that great. You can try this mnemonic, B braces. And the way to remember how it's related is you can think of someone bracing themselves as they're about to fall from syncopizing. So B braces... B is for BNP greater than 300. The second B is for bradycardia of less than 50. R is for rectal. A for anemia. C for chest pain. E for EKG with concerning Q waves. And S for a saturation of less than 94%. So there you have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed this first episode. And let me know if you have any suggestions for future episodes. Bye.